Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. Uh, you can support the show using the Zelle apps to send a donation to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Or you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month just by going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. The original air date is October the 21st of 1951, and the title is The Empire of Pip the Blind. Every night is mystery night here on NBC. Tonight's mystery feature is The Silent Men. Tomorrow evening, join Herbert Marshall as The Man Called X. On Tuesday, hear the pulsing excitement of Big Town. Then on Wednesday, there's The Big Story, Authentic Adventures of Ace Newspaper Men. And later Wednesday evening, there's the new Barry Crane, Confidential Investigator, played by William Gargan. Yes, for high adventure on a mystery feature every evening Monday through Friday, tune in to this NBC station. And now it's the silent men on your NBC station. This is Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. Once again, it is my privilege to introduce to you stories of the silent men, the special agents of federal law enforcement who silently and for little material reward daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Their tradition is long and proud, yet to guard our welfare and our liberties, they must remain nameless. The Silent Men. Produced in Hollywood and starring Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents... The Silent Men, transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. Now here again is Douglas Fairbanks. The international list of narcotic violators is compiled and kept up to date by the Permanent Central Opium Board of the United Nations. It is a list of all known illicit drug dealers throughout the world. Vicious criminals who bring misery and destruction to hundreds of thousands of people every year. Number 121 on this international list was John Bartello, sometimes known as Pip the Blind, the leader of a narcotics empire that spread from coast to coast of the United States and into Mexico. Bartello's Mexican runners smuggled opium across the border. Other messengers brought it to New York where Bartello's secret factories converted it into heroin. From here, another system of dealers and peddlers fanned out across the country to sell the dope. And the dope they sold sparked much of the crime of the nation. Yes, 121 was an important number to erase from the international list. In tonight's story, I will assume the name of Special Agent Pete Jackson, one of the silent men who risked death in order to smash the empire of Pip the Blind. (laughs) 
As Special Agent Pete Jackson, I had been assigned to Federal Narcotics in San Francisco. It was Thursday, May 5th, 1949. We had closed a local case that afternoon, and I was alone in the office at headquarters, typing out a final report for the Bureau when the call came in on the private tie line from Washington. Hello, San Francisco. Oh, who is this? Jackson? That's right. This is Blair, Pete. Oh, hello, Chief. <laughs> well, we closed a good one out here today. I was just writing it up for you. Anything big? Oh, papers of heroin, selling them through the mails. Well, that's a new one. Yeah, he had himself quite a mail order business till we canceled him out. One of our leads? No, it's a case we've been working on with the sheriff's office out here. Good, I'll read the report. The reason why I call, Pete, I have an assignment for you. Sure thing, Chief. I hate to upset your personal affairs on such short notice, but I'm afraid you'll have to leave town. Well, anything you can tell me about on the phone? Just this. A reservation has been made for you on the plane leaving San Francisco at 11 tonight. New York. I'll meet you at the airport in New York City and fill you in. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, better not tell anyone where you're going, even the family. Just say that you may be gone a matter of weeks. We'll keep in touch with them for you. Right. I'll be on the plane. The next evening, Chief Blair met me at LaGuardia Airport and drove me to a little used road on Long Island where a secret rendezvous had been arranged with another car. When we spotted the car, we pulled up behind it, killed the motor, and got out. There were two men in the other car. The driver nodded as we walked up alongside. Hi, Blair. Evening, Lieutenant. Pete, this is Lieutenant Ryan of the New York City Police. Pete Jackson from San Francisco. Glad to know you, Jackson. How are you? How are you? And this is Mr. Martinez from Mexico City, who is representing the United Nations Central Opium Board. Hello. Welcome, Senor. Uh, you must be tired after your long trip. No, not too much. It was a fairly smooth flight. You had your dinner yet? Thanks. I ate on the plane just before we landed. Oh. Well, then perhaps you'd better just climb into the back seat and we'll talk here. Sure. As good a place as any. Uh, you will forgive the informality of our meeting, senor, but it would not be good for us to meet uh, more openly under the circumstances. Oh, I'm used to it. <laughs> as I told you on the way over, Pete, the man we've been... Working on for such a long time is John Battello, also known as Pip the Blind. Yeah. Through Mr. Martinez's agents in Mexico, we've got a pretty good line on how he's getting the raw opium into the country. When the time comes, we can choke off the supply. Yes, but as you realize, senor, it would do no good to arrest a handful of Bartello's men in Mexico while the head of the organization remains free. Of course. And that's why we've concentrated on Bartello himself. That's just Doug. Oh. oh. As I was saying, that's why we've concentrated on Bartello himself here in New York City. I see. That's been Lieutenant Ryan's department, Pete. Yes, ah. and we learned quite a bit about him, Jackson. We know who he is, where he lives, how he operates. We know his habits, his friends, his business connections from coast to coast. We know when he makes a big buy, we know when he makes a big sell. We still haven't been able to get enough on him personally to make a felony conviction stick. This is still hard for me to understand, gentlemen. When we know the man is guilty and still cannot arrest him... Yes, Mr. Martinez, it's just as aggravating to us. But in order to obtain a conviction against Bartello in this country, a narcotic agent would have to actually see him hand over narcotics and accept payment or hear him order one of his men to do so before witnesses. See... Oh, care for a cigarette? Yes, thanks. thanks. Yeah, Jackson, that's where Pip the Blind has been smart. Oh, hold the light, will you please? Thanks. Now, for ten years, he's been the known head of the largest narcotics ring in the country. 
but he's never actually handled any of the stuff himself. Mm. And whenever he discusses a deal, he makes sure there are no possible witnesses present. That's why we brought you in from San Francisco, Pete. Yeah, so I was beginning to surmise. We needed a new face. One that Bartello had never seen before and couldn't possibly recognize as a narco agent. According to our plan, Senor Jackson, you will have to become personally acquainted with it, Bartello. A sort of relationship will have to be established uh, so that his suspicions are not aroused. So that he will accept you as somebody in his own line of business. Hold it, there's a car coming. Uh, it's okay. Uh, as I was saying... He must accept you as someone in his own line, uh, perhaps a competitor, uh, perhaps a possible customer. In other words, you want me to pose as a narcotics dealer myself, is that it? That's it. Uh -huh. You're a dealer from San Francisco. Not uh, too big an operator, so he wouldn't expect to know your name, but still big enough to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, what, what is my name? You'll use an inversion of your own, Jack Peters. Right. Well, now, how about my speech and general personality? A little <laughs> too academic? Not at Bartello's <laughs> level. He's got a couple of bankers and a college professor on his payroll. Is that so? Just play it straight. You're familiar enough with the West Coast narco operation so that any names or details you mention will sound legitimate to him. Mm. In fact, senor, uh, let's say the connections you have been buying from are his own outlets on the coast. Uh, Perhaps your reason for being here is to uh, circumvent this middleman and deal directly with Bartello. Uh, this type of thinking he would understand. Uh, Jackson, one of my men has lined you up a hotel room on the Upper East Side. That's where Bartello operates from. His main front's a little Italian bar on East 105th Street. Mm -hmm. How you make contact will have to be up to you. I see. Here's the hotel address, Pete, and uh, cover credentials establishing you as Jack Peters. California driver's license, identification card with a San Francisco address, social security card, a couple of letters addressed to you as Peters. Uh, better give me the stuff out of your wallet now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Thanks. And here's some reading, madam. Everything we know about Bartello's operations. Digest it tonight and return it through our Manhattan mail drop. It's got all the names you'll need. Yeah, I'll mail it tonight. Oh, uh, by the way, Pete, you need a car while you're here. Yes, I guess I will. The coupe we drove over in will be yours for the duration. Oh, thanks. Okay. Uh, only one thing. Yes? Don't try and open up the trunk and back. Oh? I keep it locked. Well, whatever you say. When you're ready to contact us, call Lieutenant Ryan's office or in an emergency, dial my local number direct. Good luck. It took a few weeks to learn my way around and establish a pattern of habits. After a couple of nights, I dropped in for a casual drink at Bartello's favorite bar. Then I began dropping in regularly. Still no sign of Bartello. But there was no secret about this being his headquarters. He operated from a back room. Finally, one of his lieutenants started showing some interest in me. On one of his regular round trips from the back office to the jukebox, he stopped at the bar and climbed up on a stool beside me. You come in here quite a bit lately. Yeah, yeah. I see the boss likes music. I like music. Oh, no offense, Tubby. I just heard that Pip liked music. How come all. you know my name? We never met before. Well, it's no secret, is it? You're one of Pip the Blind's boys. I'm nobody's boy. Oh, don't get me wrong, Tubby. <laughs> Where I come from, that's considered a compliment. Pip's a pretty big operator, you know. Where are you from? San Francisco. What do you know about Pip? 
Well, like I said, um, Pip's a pretty big operator. So he's a big operator. What do you know about him? Only that we have some um, oh, business interests in common. Yeah. In fact, I'm one of his customers. That's interesting. Only I wonder if Pip happens to be aware of that. You see, he's the one sent me out here to find out who you are. Well, that's something I'd be happy to explain to him. Okay, mister, come on. Guy says he's a customer, Pip. He knows you. Mr. Bartello? That's right. Sit down. I'm Jack Peters, San Francisco. What can I do for you, Mr. Peters? Uh, Tubby said uh, you wanted to see me. <laughs> Just wondered what you were doing in the neighborhood is all. Uh-huh. You look lonesome coming in here every night by yourself. Oh, I'm stopping at the hotel on the corner. Well, appreciate your business. You mean you own this bar? Sure, got a whole wow. string of them all <laughs> over the country. How do you think I make my living? Well, I, I didn't know, Mr. Bartello. Oh, call me Pip. That's my nickname, you know. Pip the Blind. Certainly, Pip. That's because I got a cast in my eye, just a little Pip. Here, in this one, this little spot. They call it a Pip, you know? Yes, I see. So the kids give me this name and it sticks all these years. <laughs> kind of different, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Tubby, be a good fellow. Go change the jukebox, huh? Uh, uh, sure. Sure thing. You better stay out there. Make sure it don't keep playing the same number over and over. Sure, Pip. Don't like to have too many people in the room when I talk. Makes me nervous. What's this about Tubby saying you're a customer? That's right. Been buying your stuff from Lou Warren out on the coast. Peace goods. What kind of stuff? White stuff. H. Who else you know out there? Oh, Joe Cassetti, Manny Green, Donovan, Kagan... Durslag in L.A. The names are familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Understand prices are high out your way. Oh, $500 an ounce is what I've been paying. <laughs> That's a lot of money, but yeah. not when you figure you can resell it for 2000 when you get it cut up into caps. Well, I can still do a lot better buying it direct from you. I only deal in kilo lots. How much? Cost you $9,000. I can handle it. Cash? I'm not quite ready well, yet, Well, let but me I... know when you're in the market. We'll talk some more. I just happen to notice it's 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, I always move up to my place in Harlem. Another bar? The White Kitten. I like the music up there. Just another jukebox like I got here, but somehow it sounds different. Maybe the atmosphere. You ought to drop in sometime. The White Kitten? Yeah, any time after 10. Quite a place. first meeting with Pip, I knew that I had been accepted as a narcotics dealer. And after a few more contacts, I was ready to make my move. I phoned Lieutenant Ryan's office for a meeting with Chief Blair, and once again, our rendezvous was the deserted road near the airport on Long Island. It was just after dark when I drove up behind Lieutenant Ryan's car. A little late, Pete. Any trouble? No, I doubled back a couple of times to make sure I wasn't being tailed. That's what took so long. Want to get in? Uh, Lieutenant Ryan will. I'll stand out here. Be more room. Oh, how are you, Lieutenant? Oh, can't complain. Hey, what's with the crutches? Uh, they're for you. Block of bandages here, too. Afraid you're going to meet with a little accident, Pete. Well, <laughs> line of duty, I guess. I'll take your shoe off. You kidding? No. Uh, okay. From your reports, Pete, Bartello seems to stick pretty close to that back room of his. Yeah, that's right. It's um, where he does all his business. You want the sock off, too? Please. Okay. He, um, he won't talk with anyone else in the room, so it's 
going to be practically impossible to get witnesses. That's the reason we're fixing you up with a bum leg. You've got to get Bartello out of his club and into this car. This car? That's right. <laughs> wow. It's a pretty special buggy you've been riding around in. Wire recorder? More than that. All right, just hold your leg up on the seat now and I can start wrapping it. Okay. You've got to look like there's a splint under the bandage. Hmm. I had an idea that's why you didn't want the trunk unlocked. I'd hate huh. to show you the expense account on this job. Oh, I'll tore out the entire back so that the man can ride comfortably in the trunk. Tonight, when you make your contact, Lieutenant Ryan is going along. I'll be riding shotgun. Oh, uh, let me get these hands. Huh? The lieutenant will be your witness. The way it's fixed, he can see out of the car in any direction, including the front seat. Yeah, there's a mic built in right there behind the ashtray. Two-way intercom. If you want to talk to me, just push the cigarette lighter on the dashboard. Yeah. Oh, that leg looks pretty good. Yeah. Or bad. <laughs> I don't think you could walk on it now if you wanted to. <laughs> department's plan had been carefully worked out. Not only was my car specially rigged, but another innocent-looking pickup truck had been reconstructed to carry more concealed agents, armed with both guns and high-powered cameras. They would be parked across the street from Bartello's place when we got there. Now, with my leg bandaged, crutches leaning against the front seat where they'd show, and Lieutenant Ryan riding in the trunk compartment as a witness, I drove back to Upper Manhattan for the crucial contact with Pip the Blind. It was a little past nine when I pulled up in front of the bar. We're there, Lieutenant. So I say. And there's our truck parked across the street, right where they said it would be. Blow the horn. See if you can get the bartender to come out. They're looking out this way. I'll try it again. So, someone's coming. It's Tubby. Why, why, what's all the racket? Hello, Tubby. Oh, it's you. Pip inside? Yeah. Uh, what's with the leg? Oh, I broke a little bone in my foot. Can't walk on it. That's too bad. What do you want with Pip? I got a deal working. Can you call him out here? You know, Pip, don't ever talk to nobody on the street. You'll have to come inside. But I tell you, Tubby, I can't put any weight on this leg. I, I've got to see him right away. Well, no. I'll see what he says. Tell him it's big. A kilo. I'll tell him. Lieutenant. So far, so good. If he comes out. Sit tight. Hey, what's happening to our truck over there? Just sitting there in the loading zone, as though the driver's inside someplace making a pickup. I know, with those kids playing around it. Hope they don't get between us. Cut off. Someone's coming. It's him. Hello, Pip. What's the matter? You get banged up? Chipped a bone in my foot. Slipped on the street the other day, and this is what happened. <laughs> You're getting old, Chum. Yeah. Get in, Pip. Yeah. Uh, well? Tubby tell you what I wanted? No, he just said you wanted to see me. I've got a fast deal for a kilo of H. I've got to have it right away. Stuff's hard to get nowadays. I don't know if I can help you. Pip, it's important. This party's a big dealer in Harlem. If I can deliver right, he'll be an important customer. You got the cash? 7000 My price is nine, you know that. I know, Pip, but I've got to sell it for nine. That's the only way I could make my deal. I don't cut my price. Well, that means I won't make a dime out of it. Well, tell you what. This time only, I'll make it 8000 That means you make a grand. From now on, it's 9 Gs. Thanks. Thanks, Pip. If it's, if it's quality stuff, I'm sure he'll pay more. What, what he's been getting is so cut up with powdered milk sugar, the users won't take it. <laughs> you don't have to worry about the quality of my stuff. 
count of the leg, I can't get out of the car, Pip. So if you could bring the stuff out, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Here? I'll give you the money now if you like. You think I'm nuts? I don't do no business here. I run a respectable bar and talk to a few friends, that's all. Tubby will take care of me. Well, any way you want to handle it, Pip. Tubby? Yeah, Pip. Put your head in. Yeah. Mr. Peter's ready to make a buy. I promised him a kilo of heroin. Sure, you got enough on him? Plenty. Okay, then you two get together and make a meet someplace, someplace safe. Okay. From now on, you deal with Dubby. Uh, about the price, Pip, don't you? <laughs> you think you'd better explain? Oh, yeah. yeah. This time only, Tubby, 8000 from now on the regular price. I got it. And I'm counting on you guys to make sure your meets are changed each time you connect. Don't worry, Pip, I'll, I'll see they're changed. You better get in with him, Tubby. Sure. Take care of the leg. Thanks, Pip. Okay, when do we meet? It's got to be tonight. Okay, but the later the better. Well, um, how about one o'clock? Say the corner of 93rd and Broadway. Make it one o'clock, only I tell you where. You still live in the hotel on the corner? That's right. I'll be in your room, I'll phone you later. Hello? What happened? Don't mention no names on the phone. All right, only what happened is almost one o'clock. The deal's off. What do you mean it's off? I counted on this. It ain't safe. The boys don't want to take no chance. But he told me tonight it was all set. I know, but there was a couple of bad cars in their neighborhood tonight. Now he says it ain't safe. What cars? There was a truck across the street two, three hours we ain't never seen around here before. Well, what's that got to do with it? That's for your own protection. But how can you be sure they were cops? When you're sure, it's too late. Nothing doing for the night that's final. But what'll I tell my party? This may queer the whole deal, you know. We'll make it tomorrow, someplace out of the neighborhood. I'll have the stuff with me. I'll phone you tomorrow for a definite mate. Well, all right. I'll expect your call. Afternoon, when I get up. Okay, okay. Goodbye. Hmm. Deal's off, Chief. How come? They spotted the truck. I was afraid of that. How about you? I'm okay. We're meeting tomorrow. Good. Better deal the truck out, though. I guess we'll have to, now that they've spotted it. Well, I've got to go now. I've got to unload some things out of the back of my car before they get too rumpled up. They've been in there for a couple of hours. Yes, take good care of them. They may mean a lot to us. <laughs> Next day, Tubby telephoned and gave me a new meeting place, far uptown. The meeting was to take place on a busy street corner in broad daylight at five that afternoon. At 3.30, I picked up Lieutenant Ryan. He got into the trunk compartment again, and at the designated time, I headed uptown to meet Tubby, as planned. I'm a little worried, Pete. What's wrong? I don't know. There's something fishy about this second meeting. Well, maybe they're just playing it safe. It's this daylight thing that got me worried. Why should they want to take a chance on handing over the goods in broad daylight? Well, we'll see. It's the next corner. Is he there? Standing at the curb. Here we go. Where to? Around the corner, I'll tell you. You got the money? Eight thousand. Hand it over. How about the stuff? You'll get it after I camp the dough. Okay. Here you are. Fifty. One. One 
250. You didn't bring the goods with you? 250. I said you'd get it. Just keep going straight up Broadway. Three. Three fifty. Eight. Eight G's is correct. Okay, Peters, you can pull over to the curb. Where? Anywhere at all. Well, how about my package? I got a boy bringing it. It'll be there. Pull over. There's nobody here. You're carrying a gun, Peters. What is this, a hijack? You don't mind if I frisk you just to make sure. Go ahead. Just got to be careful. Are you satisfied? You're clean. Now, about my package. I told you, I got a boy bringing it in that cab right behind us. Hey, Kit. Oh, then he's been right behind us all the time. For sure. Who notices a taxi in a city like New York? I might as well take the cab back. Save you the ride. Okay, Tubby. Here's your package, Peters. Thanks for the business. Give it to him, kid. Tubby's messenger dumped the brown paper package into my front seat, and they both hopped into the cab. I waited till they were lost in traffic and then drove back downtown by a roundabout route to headquarters. Lieutenant Ryan got out of his hideaway in the trunk compartment in the presence of the chief and other agents. We opened up the brown paper package. Inside were two large glassine envelopes filled with heroin. This was the evidence the Bureau had been waiting for. At last, we had the goods on number 121 of the international list. We planned the roundup for late that night. The bar on 105th Street presented too many problems, so we waited until Pippa Blind had transferred his operations uptown to his Harlem club, the White Kitten. It was just after 12 when Lieutenant Ryan, Chief Blair, and I entered the club. Well, the place is jumping tonight. A little too crowded for comfort. Well, let's hope there won't be any action. You see him, Pete? Sitting at a table towards the back. Fellas, like a drink? No, thanks. No tables left, but you can get a drink at the bar. Thanks very much. You looking for someone? Sort of. Or you looking for trouble? (laughs) Nothing like that, friend. There he is. Come on. I tell you, we don't like people coming in here looking for trouble. Somebody say trouble? Your name, John Bartello? That's right. Also known as Pip the Blind? That's me. Who turned off the music? Shall I turn it back on, Pip? No, no, never mind, Tubby. We're federal agents, Mr. Bartello. So you're federal agents. I pay my income tax. You know this man? Which one? He means me, Pip. Never seen him before in my life. Perhaps we'd better discuss this outside. Sure you've seen him, Pip. He's a guy been coming into the other bar lately. I'm a special agent, Pip. You'd better come along. Is this a pinch? You too, Tubby. Okay, so we'll discuss it outside. Turn on that music again, somebody. I want to hear something hot when I get back. Okay, Pip. This is ridiculous. You've got nothing on us. I run a respectable business. My lawyer will help me out before we get downtown. You've got no evidence. I'm afraid this time you're mistaken, Pip. You recognize that car at the curb? That's Mr. Peter's car. So what? The man you claim you never saw before in your life. So? We happen to have photographs of the two of you sitting in the front seat of that car. Okay, so I know him. So I sat in his car. Some law says I can't. He, uh, he was trying to sell me the car. Then you should have bought it, Pip, because in the back trunk of that car, the evidence is going to put you away for a long time. <laughs> Not me, pal. I never talk in front of witnesses. Let's go, boys. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. 
The smashing of the empire of Pip the Blind closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you a story involving atomic secrets and treason. The file case entitled, The Case of the Rubber Gloves. Another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. Produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's case was written by Mr. Lewis and transcribed in Hollywood. All names and places were fictional, and any resemblance to persons living or dead was purely coincidental. Featured in tonight's cast were Herb Butterfield as Chief Blair, Paul Fries as Lieutenant Ryan, Jan Arvan as the Envoy Martinez, Ed Max as Tubby, and Lou Merrill as Pip the Blind. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks may currently be seen in the motion picture, Mr. Drake's Duck. Here again is Douglas Fairbanks. There are 10 million Korean refugees. Three million have literally no house or town to go back to. They are completely and utterly destitute. Over two million have already died of wounds or exposure since fighting began. Many more millions of innocent Koreans will die this coming winter unless you give your unneeded clothing today to American Relief for Korea. That's ARK, A-R-K. Unless your church, your local Y, or AWBS can collect them, please send your used clothing prepaid today to ARK, Oakland, California, or to ARK, Maspeth, Long Island, New York. again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. It's the Silver Jubilee on NBC. Monday means more fine music on NBC. This month Welcome back. Well, this is an interesting uh, episode. In some ways, it contrasts to, uh, say, the way that Dragnet would often do these stories. As you never quite feel the agent is really in any personal danger. But it's a good look at how law enforcement finds ways to improvise uh, when dealing with someone who obviously has worked out uh, systems uh, that generally thwart efforts to arrest them. I kind of do wonder how the law in 1949, when this particular episode was set, 
would view recorded evidence and whether that would be a substitute at that time for having policemen in the trunk. Or if they had you know, battery-powered uh, tape recorders back then that could have worked for that purpose. Like so many of the little touches that they did during the scene when uh, they were out in the middle of nowhere, you know, discussing the setup where they had all of these times where they kind of interrupted because they were having to be that careful to make sure they weren't overheard. It's rare to see that much effort taken to really make a scene come to life, outside of Dragnet, of course. So I was pretty thoroughly impressed. Speaking of Dragnet, I was a little surprised in that promo at the beginning where they were mentioning all of those mystery programs that they didn't mention Dragnet. Uh, but I guess at that point, Dragnet had been on the air for two and a half years, so it, it probably had its own reputation and didn't require the extra advertisement. Well, as promised last week, we're going to talk a little bit about the career of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Of course, he was the son of silent film legend Douglas Fairbanks of the Mark of Zorro and Robin Hood fame. Fairbanks Jr. started out acting pretty young, with a bit part in one of his dad's films when he was seven, and then signing a contract when he was uh, 13. So he worked uh, in both the silent and talking era. He was probably at his peak as a star in the 30s, uh, appeared in a lot of uh, important films. Uh, he was in Little Caesar, Prisoner of Zenda, and Gunga Den. Relevant to our series, he actually had some pretty vital work during World War II. He was commissioned into the U.S. Navy and came up with the idea for a military deception unit. What this military deception unit would do is it would create the appearance that they were staging an invasion and that they were the main invasion force. It would just be a small... Uh, force, and these became the beach jumpers. And essentially, they decoyed the axis away from where the actual invasion was uh, coming through, which was a very dangerous uh, operation that uh, car he carried out through the war as one of this unit, and uh, continued to serve in the Naval Reserve and retired as a captain. And for his service in the war, he was awarded the Silver Star and Legion of Merit, among other honors. He then returned to Hollywood after the war, and he continued to have a career. It wasn't nearly as successful as his pre-war career, but still he made a lot of solid work, uh, both in radio and uh, television as well as motion pictures and stage and actually has three different stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for his work in film, television, and radio. So we've got a pretty solid star here, even though by 1951 he's not, you know, at his peak in terms of his popularity, but with some definite uh, credibility and insight in order to play the characters that he does. All right, well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day now. 
And I want to thank Bill. Bill's been one of our Patreon supporters since November, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support, Bill. And that will actually do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for Public Domain Video Theater. We'll be getting into Treasury Men in Action. And then on Monday, we'll be back with Casey Crime Photographer. And next Saturday, another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. <laughs>